uh, in our Life of Christ, uh, Sunday and Wednesday Bible class. We are in lesson number 22 uh, this morning. Uh, we are continuing uh, our, uh, our look at the Sermon on the Mount. So, you know, we've really... Uh, the first, well, the first, I guess, 19 or first 20 lessons, you know, we've been going through Jesus' life, and now the curriculum really is putting a, a stop at the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, because uh, it apparently wants for us to emphasize the great import, importance of this sermon uh, that Jesus preaches here to his disciples. And so, again, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 uh, for this morning's lesson, uh, verses 13 through 16. But if you were with us on Wednesday evening, we looked at the, the Beatitudes uh, that Jesus began this sermon uh, preaching about. Remember, he, he goes up on a mountain and uh, he sits down. Uh, his disciples are all around him. And this is sort of like a disciple orientation. Uh, he's going to teach them things that they need to know uh, in order to be uh, those of the kingdom of heaven. And he, again, he begins with the Beatitudes. Uh, I... I mentioned how, you know, remember that little girl uh, in this story uh, couldn't say Beatitudes, and so what she said was beautiful attitudes. And that's really a good way to remember what the Beatitudes are. They're these beautiful attitudes that we need to have to, uh, again, inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he goes on from each one of those. Uh, These aren't the only uh, Beatitudes we find in Scripture. Uh, Revelation has seven of them sprinkled throughout that book. The Psalms have some as well. Uh, but these are the most well-known because they're you know, concentrated right here at the beginning of the sermon, one after another. And these are statements that, again, they begin, blessed are uh, such and such. And we, we talked about what that word blessed means. You know, a lot of people like to translate it happy, but it's a little bit more than that. Right? Happy is something uh, that... Uh, you know, that's a result of, you know, outward um, circumstances, right? It's more of a joy. It's, it's being fortunate, you know, blessed are. The reason, uh, you know, you're a Christian, uh, you're blessed, uh, again, not just happy, but it's more than happy. But as we, as we looked at each one of these, it was almost like we were stepping up, you know, a set of stairs, one after another, and we recall that, you know, each one built on the other. Again, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, not poor as in a wealthy type of sense, but poor as in, you know, you're broken, you're humble. Your spirit is, you know, that's the type of spirit that God wants you to bring to him, a humble and contrite, broken spirit that I can't do this on my own, that I need you. Uh, again, uh, poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. Again, not... That, not that you, you know, physically cry all the time, but that when you realize that you can't do it all, when you realize that you know, your sins put Christ in that position, uh, there's a mournfulness about that. Uh, that when, we see, when we think of the sin that we commit or even see the sin that's out in the world, it, it, you know, as Jeremiah used to say uh, or in his uh, Old Testament account, you know, people don't even blush anymore at those things. Well, we should be mourning uh, when we see those things. It should affect us in such a way. You know, blessed are the gentle. Again, not being weak, but blessed are those who uh, are self-controlled. They're gentle. They're meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? You want to satisfy this desire to have righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. 
And so he, now he turns his attention to those who are not necessarily on how to affect your life, but how to affect others. You know, you want to be merciful because, um, because then you shall receive mercy back. You know, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Again, we made that distinction that there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And Jesus says that we need to be peacemakers. We need to be actively looking to make peace with one another. Uh, and then he finally, uh, uh, blessed are those, uh, yeah, verses 10 and 11. Uh, a lot of uh, scholars will make this one beatitude, although he's got two blessed statements, but they're both about persecution. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Uh, rejoice and be glad, he said. That reminds us of the apostles, all right, when uh, they were... Uh, early on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4 and 5, when they were arrested and they were beaten and whipped for you know, preaching Jesus, and they left, uh, after being let go, they left rejoicing, right? They left rejoicing for being considered worthy to receive that punishment in the name of Jesus. Again, blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for standing up for Jesus, for, for preaching Jesus. And so... Those were the Beatitudes. That's how Jesus began uh, this uh, sermon that he's going to preach here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so let's move on to the next section, uh, verses uh, 13 through 16 uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you know, for some, you know, uh, you know, some of us, you know, have dealt with in our lives, maybe even now with, you know, low self-esteem, uh, there's a term that, you know, we hear nowadays uh, more than probably ever, you know, mental health. You know, I, I don't remember hearing that term uh, growing up, but we hear it a lot today. And we know that uh, it impacts, you know, especially uh, our teenagers and our, our college students and even adults. And when we think of uh, some of the reasons because of that, it might be because of a lack of self-esteem. Um, now... What does that have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? What does that have to do with this lesson this morning? Well, let's read the words of Jesus and then uh, notice you know, uh, how we can sort of um, manage between the two. So Jesus begins by saying uh, to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What is... Jesus getting through to the disciples right here uh, in these uh, in these verses, and you know we've might have read those verses a thousand times before, but the the message you know that he's emphasizing here is you are important, right? You are important to God's uh, plan, and uh, we're going to talk about really the the two aspects of these verses here in depth a little bit more, but he. Uh, first, he refers to Christians as salt, and then he refers to them as light. 
Right? Those are two very important things in this life. That's uh, what we're being compared to. And so, uh, you know, again, Jesus is saying you are important. You know, you might be lacking self-esteem, but if you go to these passages and, you know, just read them, uh, reread them, you notice Jesus is saying you have an important part to play in this life uh, for him. Right? You are salt of the earth. Uh, you are the light of the world. Those are some important, important concepts. So we'll dive into those here a little bit uh, as we go along. So again, let, let's think of this first phrase. You are the salt of the earth. Um, what was the purpose of salt in, you know, not necessarily today, but in the first century? Preservation. Okay, yeah, that's probably the number one is preservation. Salt was a, a symbol of purity. Right? It was a symbol of purity. Uh, we can read about it in some of the, the uh, Levitical priesthood and some of their sacrifices. They were told to use salt uh, in that. Um, interestingly enough, salt was used in Scripture, or we read about, as a weapon of warfare. You know, how, would, how would it be used as a weapon of warfare? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the one that I was thinking in particular was Judges chapter, oh, Judges chapter nine, verse forty-five, uh, where it's recorded. It says uh, Abimelech he fought against the city all the day, and he captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and then he raised the city and sowed it with salt. Well, what's the purpose, or why would he, uh, you know, sow the land with salt? Right. He didn't uh, he didn't want anything to grow on that land from that time onward. You know, so sometimes salt we see in the Old Testament was used as a weapon of warfare. Salt was used as a medium of exchange, you know, commodity. You know, have you ever heard the 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 uh, the saying he's worth his salt? That's a. Uh, uh, you know, from this time period, you know, the Romans, uh, the Roman soldiers were sometimes uh, paid, uh, not monetarily, but paid salt for their services. And, you know, again, it was a valuable commodity. Sometimes it wasn't always in high supply. And as Jason mentioned, uh, probably the number one reason uh, they used it, why it was important was because it was a preservative. Right? Did they have refrigerators back then? No, and so uh, in order to you know keep the meat uh, from spoiling, they needed uh, the salt. Well, today, you know, when we think of salt, obviously, you know, the first thing probably comes to mind is that salt shaker on our tables to you know season our, our food. Uh, you know, we, we know it um, you know it creates thirst in our bodies. Uh, uh, we need sodium chloride in our diet as well, and. You know, obviously, you know, the Apostle Paul even told us that we need to season our speech with salt. Right. Um, but let's let's compare uh, examine the comparison of Christ's disciples that he mentions here in verse 13 uh, as salt and the earth. Right. If you you are the salt of the earth, right? you are the salt of the earth. Right? Again, we understand salt adds flavor. Right. It adds, it adds flavor. And so uh, if we are the salt of the earth, you know, we are, you know, adding, you know, a flavor, a zest to this life. 
You know, uh, as Christians, we're not to be, you know, bland and dull and lifeless and, you know, kind of do our own thing over in this corner and, and uh, you know, nobody uh, recognizes us or, or uh, you know, or, or, you know, notices us, but we are to be salt of the earth. We are to be that flavoring ingredient uh, around the people among us. You know, there's a saying that, uh, you know, it's kind of been popular. Uh, or I think it's really gotten popular here the past couple of years. You know, people will call you salty. Right? What does that mean when someone calls you salty? What? Old? Is that irritating? Yeah, I thought it was more of, you know, you're irritating. You're, are you, maybe, you're, maybe Jeff's thinking about, you know, my hair a little bit. Uh, salt and pepperish. Uh, but no, uh, yeah, if someone calls you salty today, they're saying you're irritating, you're, 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 you get angry easily. But, you know, actually, we want to be salty, right? Jesus says you are a salt of the earth. Uh, salt preserves. Uh, then Christians, we are the preserving power of the, the morally decaying earth. Uh, salt is valuable. That means we are important to Christ and his purpose. Again, you know, do not sell yourself short. You are important in God's plan. You are the salt of the earth. And then he focuses, uh, verses 14 through 16, on the other aspect of, you know, you are the light of the world. You know, the same thing is being expressed here. You are important. Uh, Light, of course, it dispels darkness. It allows others to see. Um, you know, salt is, it influences the things it touches. Light influences those things that, you know, it's shined upon. Uh, if we are the light of the world, then what uh, does that mean about the world? It's dark, isn't it? You know, the scriptures tell us uh, in a few places uh, that, that the world is dark. The world prefers darkness. Uh, I was reading a story uh, preparing this lesson about a preacher uh, who, uh, as a side business, owned rental property. And so uh, when a family uh, moved out of this home that he was renting to them, uh, he and his wife went to inspect it the next day. And, you know, they, they, they could tell as soon as they opened the door that it was just left in filth and, uh, you know, nobody cleaned it out. And as soon as he turned on the light... You know, the thousands and thousands of these roaches started scampering in every direction. Right? They, they hate the light. And that's what Scripture says about those in this world who uh, prefer evil, that they hate the light. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring the light or excuse me, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 13. Notice again, Paul says here, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. You know, John chapter 3, verse 19, remember Jesus said that men love the darkness rather than the light? Again, you know, we are the light of the world, right? We are to expose, or, you know, you know, think of it as us walking into a darkened room, and things should light up around us. Uh, we are what directs 
or should direct the world's path. You know, again, the world is dark and we are that light. Why are we light? Do we produce that light? Maybe a sort of a trick question. I've always thought of it as, you know, not that we are the light, but we are a reflection of the light, right? God is that light. Jesus is that light. Uh, and, um, you know, we reflect his light to others in this life. It's not because of, again, the goodness that we do, uh, but it's that light is, again, from God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We reflect that light. And again, we should be honored that, uh, you know, Jesus refers to us in these verses as salt and light. Again, very extremely important concepts. We make a difference in this world. Uh, you make a difference to this earth, right? Because you are a Christian and you are, you are the salt uh, that preserves God's word. Uh, you are the light that reflects God's love. Uh, to know Jesus in the scriptures means, you know, you know more about uh, God's design for, you know, marriage and, and parenting and dealing with problems and, you know, what life is all about, you know, better than any uh, PhD who's never studied uh, the scriptures, right? That's how valuable you are. And again, that is a fantastic, fantastic compliment. So we also need to be aware that there, of course, are challenges to being salt of the earth. Uh, again, uh, verse Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But then he says, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and tr- out and trampled under the foot of men. So again, you know, we think of these distinctive qualities of salt. Um, we cannot be the salt of the earth. We cannot make the difference in, the, in, the, in this world you know, if we're not acting like salt. If we're not acting uh, pres- preservably and... Uh, and these, and these other aspects to assault. And so we're blending in to uh, the world. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 4. I want to read some of these uh, this morning rather than trying to uh, quote them from my head. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Right? Do not be a friend of the world, uh, James says. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, uh, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Again, uh, Salt of the earth, right? We are to uh, stand out, and Jesus warns us oops, that, that we can, uh, as that salt, become tasteless. Again, if we're going to act like the world, then we cannot be the salt that the world needs. Uh, but, you know, and let's make this point as well. It's interesting that he did not say that we are the salt of the church, did he? But rather the salt of the earth right he doesn't put our focus uh, being the salt of the church uh, but the salt of the earth you know it's uh we need to have that influence on 
you know, the, the entire world, not just here uh, with our brothers and sisters. It's easy to love our brothers and sisters, right? It's easy to be a good influence when we're around our brothers and sisters. But Jesus calls us to be salt of the earth uh, in all circumstances. In the same way, uh, of course, there's challenges to being light. Uh, again, let, let's notice the rest of those verses. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, uh, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And again, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, why would you build your city on a hilltop? Okay, yeah, to be seen, uh, to, to see, um, you know, it's protection, right? Uh, it's a beacon for travelers. Uh, you know, you don't want to waste uh, the, the flatland or you want to use the flatland for your farmland. And so uh, it was very advantageous to build your city on a hill. Of course, Jerusalem was built on seven hills. And uh, many uh, places back then would build... Now, would build uh, their, their cities on these hills for uh, these, again, protection, their natural watchtowers. And so uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Again, uh, you know, when you are this light, uh, you should be acting like the light that you can see from a hilltop. You see it in all directions. Um, and, and so his point was that even men did not hide their cities. So why? Would we hide our light, right? Uh, why would we hide our light? Nor, you know, it doesn't make sense, he says. Does anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket? Right? That would make no sense. Uh, but rather, put it on a lampstand, and it's going to give light. It's going to uh, show all those who are around them. We think about, you know, again, we as Christians are the light of the world. You know, every light that goes out, whether it's a, you know, a faithful member uh, passing away or someone leaving the church, uh, you know, every light that goes out, what does that do to the world? Dims. Dims. It makes it a little darker. Right? Uh, every light that goes out. Uh, what is greater, light or darkness? Light is, isn't it? Uh, they say that the blacker the darkest the, the darkness is, you know, if you're in a room that's pitch black, uh, the more brilliant the light is when it appears. Right? G Jesus came into a dark world and he uh, was this bright light that appeared. Um, again, no one puts a light or no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Uh, you know, again, this isn't the days of flipping a switch on and off and having your electricity pop on and turning a light on. This is the days where you had a candle or you had an oil lamp. And, and of course, uh, you know, those sometimes can be very uh, difficult to light. And so uh, what I read was, you know, they tried to just, you know, continually keep those things burning. Uh, but, of course, at night, uh, what they would do was they would, you know, take some sort of like a clay pot or something and they would put it over the light 
you know, so that it would be dark enough for you to sleep well. And so that's sort of, I believe, what Jesus is saying here is, uh, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but to let your light shine, you know, you got to take that basket off the light, off that oil lamp to let the light come in for everyone to see. And again, same thing uh, with the salt illustration as well. You know, light has no value if it's put under a bushel or bowl, and light can lose its power uh, if it is hidden. You know, what are some uh, bushels we hide our light with? You know, again, just, just thinking uh, applications, spiritually thinking, you know, what are some ways that we can hide our lights? Or how can we hide our lights today? You know, I think... Uh, you know, some of those, some of that can be, uh, you know, obviously, you know, not being in the scriptures enough to you, you know, you know, what the scriptures say and teach, right? Uh, you know, we, th- that's a way that we can hide our light in this world. Uh, when, uh, as we talked about a little bit earlier with James, you know, chapter four, verse four, uh, when we become friends with this world, of course, our light is starting to dim. Uh, we're no longer that light that's reflecting Jesus's uh, life in our lives. You know, th- there are ways that we can um, let, or, excuse me, uh, not let our light shine in this world to be that light that's under a basket. But again, we're told that in Jesus's day, they put those lights on lampstands and and on walls. And the main point is, of course, we want that light to be seen. Now, is there a difference between uh, our light being seen and our light to be seen? Because some of you might be thinking, well, I thought there was a passage, you know, maybe somewhere on, in the Sermon on the Mount that where uh, Jesus says, you know, we shouldn't be seen by men. But how do we... Uh, Navigate those couple of verses. Let's read that verse, actually. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, in those passages, it sort of sounds like Jesus is telling us uh, to not show our light. Uh, but then back here in Matthew chapter 5, you know, again, do, you are the light of the world. Don't hide your light. You know, how are we going to um, go to those two verses and uh, make them complementary to one another? Exactly. Where, you know, in the second verse of Matthew 6, we're to not be doing it to be seen. Right. Not to be saying, look at me, I'm doing this great work. But rather, give God the due credit and the admiration that we should. Yeah, exactly. So Matthew chapter 6, we'll study that in a couple of weeks. Again, uh, this, this passage, Jesus is teaching, you know, don't be seen or excuse me, don't 
uh, to, don't let your light shine to be seen uh, in a, um, because you have a different attitude or purpose uh, to be seen. But you want to be seen, as he tells us here in verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right? We want men to see our good works, to see the good things that are in our lives, our lives that are transformed after Jesus Christ, and so that God can be glorified in that. We're not doing it to brag or to boast or to say that we're more righteous or that um, you know, we have heaven and, and, and they don't, but we are doing it so that people will see our good works, hopefully will be intrigued by it, and will want to you know, learn more about Jesus and so that he can be glorified in that. And so again, we think about you know, how do we let our lights shine? You know, Jesus said that we let our lights shine, again, through our good works. And why do we let them shine? Again, to glorify uh, God. Again, not to call attention to ourselves. Now remember, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, you know, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And so he is that light that we uh, want to reflect in this life. And so, again, you know, these are some powerful verses, uh, verses 13 through 16. I think that's probably why uh, the, the curriculum wants us to kind of just stop here and talk about them instead of quickly going through them. Because, again, as Christians, we are to be salt of the earth and the light, uh, the light uh of the world, right? We, we need to be reflecting that light. We need to be uh, preserving God's word uh, as the salt. We need to be salty. <laughs> Again, don't take it in the context of how it's used today, but Jesus says you are to be salty. Uh, you are to be that salt and not lose your taste because what, uh, what advantage does salt have if it has no taste? Who wants a tasteless salt? Right? Jesus says uh, that it's no good for anything but to uh, be thrown out and trampled uh, under uh, the foot of men. So, you know, we spent time at the beginning of this uh, lesson going over how, you know, our current, you know, self-esteem uh, affects our performance in areas in our lives. Uh, again, your spiritual self-esteem uh, can affect your spiritual performance. And so... Jesus reminds us, you are salt, you are light. Uh, but this is not just a compliment. Again, it, it is a compliment, and it's encouraging uh, that we have that responsibility, but it's also a challenge, right? Um, it doesn't matter about those things, uh, but again, his important point that he wants to get through is you are important, right? Because you are a Christian, and you have these qualities, salt, light, and uh, you have that influence because if we're not that salt, um, we're not going to be that flavor that, that others are going to notice. And if we're not shining that light and we're just going to be dim or we're going to, uh, you know, just blend in into the world, the dark world. And so, again, these are some great, great qualities. Um, let me leave you with one more passage uh, that Paul wrote in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Uh, well, let's start back up in verse 14. Uh, Paul writes, Do all things without grumbling 
or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Again, even Paul makes mention that we are to appear as lights in this world. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, if you, if you need copies of, of the handouts, if you want to be prepared for Wednesday's class, uh, there's copies in the back. And uh, speaking of Wednesday's class, we'll move into lesson number 23, uh, verses 17 through 20, uh, Christ and the Old Testament. So as we, again, dissect uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, appreciate your attendance this morning, and Brother Jason's going to have our closing prayer for us at this time.